0: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Soul Sisters. I'm Dara Golub. I'm Jesse Katz. Hello, and today we have an uh, outstanding guest, mm-hmm. Uta Lemper, mm-hmm. who you know you might not be familiar with. She's an international singer, actress, um, cabaret performer. I and during the podcast, I referred to her as a sort of researcher historian. Yes, um, because she really takes texts from writers, authors, poets, um, composers, and just reinterprets them to be her own one-woman show in a mm-hmm. way. And um, they sort of run the gamut from all kinds from from Neruda's love stories, Charles Bukowski, um, Paul Coelho. and um, and and sh- she really feels very connected to the fact of her German heritage. She's German, but she's lived here for about 30 years. And she grapples with her German heritage a mm-hmm. lot and her work. And um, I think it's evolving. We get into all of that. She's done a lot of um, work surrounding Holocaust and, and um, a lot of the work of Kurt Vile. she's dealt with. So it was a fascinating, very different discussion for us, I think.
2: Yeah. Uh, I loved it, though. It's... Um, it's very refreshing to talk about politics with a guest, but not have it just be about Trump, for right. example. Yeah. You know, to talk about global politics and history, and the, sweeping, the and, sweep of history in it. Yeah, yeah, uh, and putting some things in perspective, in doing that. You yeah, know? yeah, it was fascinating. I, I. Reached out the second that her name appeared in my inbox, um, announcing that she is going to be performing at Cafe Carlisle soon. I immediately wrote back and said, we have to have her on the show. And then realized I wasn't sure I was that familiar with her work. Mm. I just knew that her name was a big international name. (laughs) You know, she's just been one of those. Um, So it was great to dig into her work in advance of her coming in and then talk to her about it.
1: Right. She has okay. a show at the Carlisle, one of our favorite places um, to see music and to have a date night. Um, so <laughs> she'll be doing the music of Marlena Dietrich there, and sort of a, a whole and a show surrounding a very intimate experience she had with her. Um, so yeah, it's very it was very exciting to have her on the
2: show. Yeah. So here she is, Uta Lumper on Soul Sisters. Good to thank you for coming on the show. Good morning. Good morning. morning. <laughs> thank you for is, having me. Yeah, this is quite an honor for us. Um, I thought I would kick things off by just talking about how I read the piece that the Times did on you last year where it was like spending Sunday with so-and-so. Oh, yeah. And, so. and I, I love those those pieces. Yeah. I think they're so fascinating. But it's also it was so funny to read about your day as if you're just an ordinary <laughs> Upper West Side mom who's... As if I that, am,
0: you <laughs> are. But you I'm also who? have had
2: the most extraordinary life yeah. and career, right. you know. So you are extra fascinating to read about yeah. in that context.
3: What did they do? What did you do? And who are you? At? Oh, I we that. just did the Museum of Natural History. Mm-hmm. I live right next door. We did Artie's, which closed the restaurant. Oh, Artie's, right, our right, favorite right. restaurant, and it's closed on Broadway. And uh, we we did a jam session at at home. I uh-huh. think the kids were playing uh piano right. and drums and. <laughs> Um, I think you and your
2: husband had a glass of wine Oh, not somewhere. a fight. That's good.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe they didn't write that up. I don't know. Probably afterwards. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's it funny. Yeah. So I, I just, I love the idea that you have a very provincial New York life. As well, this yes, very
3: international yeah. life. Very residential. Yeah, you know, yeah. I feel uh, the Upper West Side, it's like a little village. Everything's very close. My kids go to public school. Yeah. The playgrounds are closed. Uh-huh. And uh, every afternoon act- activity, even the baseball center is underneath the bank uh, in the- on the next block. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't know, you know, the, the life underneath uh, the Sub-New York, uh, I, I feel it's very close. You can walk everywhere um, to every supermarket and restaurant and, and friends are close. So I, I feel, yeah. I, I like the community. It's close and warm-hearted. Yeah. Very alive.
2: Right. I love the Upper West Side also because for as much as New York City changes constantly, I feel like that neighborhood feels a little untouched by time. Yeah, it's unfortunately. It's classic yeah. New York. Yeah. Right.
3: Unfortunately, all the little stores, are they are closing up. You know, the rents are yeah, shooting yeah. up and the restaurants, uh, my favorite Greek restaurants. Restaurant are all gone. Yeah, you know, oh, gone to so Dwayne Reed actually. and Chase Bank right. and stuff. Oh, right. the banks. Yeah, the banks it's it's, it's a pity. It's a pity. Yeah. <sighs> so so you p- wonder how it will look in fifty years, you know? Yeah. Whether it's going to be all abstract m- monopoly of you know the big shops. And I mean, stuff. what's
2: the alternative? What's the alternative to that? But at the same time, it, I mean. How can it keep going know. at that pace?
3: What right. will well, give?
1: Who knows? Do anything. you spend much time thinking about those kinds of things? Like what?
3: What's this I do all be? the time? Yeah. My, my, you know, <laughs> I have four kids. The oldest is twenty-three. The youngest is six. Yeah. You wonder how will this world look like in fifty years? I mean, with a digital explosion. Right. What. what Will there be a different kind of personality that is like... In the new book of Dan Brown, I'm, I'm I'm not such a fan, but I just look through the subjects because it's historically well-researched uh-huh. and it's interesting visions in these books. Uh, his vision of the new kind of humanity and in the evolution of people is uh, some kind of consciousness that is half digital right. and half human. Mm-hmm. And if you see the kids nowadays on their iPads and iPhones at the age of six and the way they think and see things with Minecraft, these games, and (laughs) uh, what will that do to people? And the music, how music is so programmed and uh, computerized nowadays. Uh How will this thing that we old people yeah. Is our nature. How will that survive? So
2: I love talking about this. I'm so glad we're I know, to but this
3: is, yeah. oh my God, we have another thing to talk about, right? But, we'll
2: talk about all of it. But because I just had this debate with my college friends over email this week, and we were debating whether or not it's really any different than it's always been. Yeah. You know, like he quoted, I forget what, it was like Plato or Socrates who was complaining about the younger generation in exactly the mm. same yeah. way that we do now. Right. But I, it does feel different because the technology it's has such a leap. Such a it's leap, such a different right. leap. But leap, yeah. yes,
1: and I wanted to ask you in that sort of same vein uh, about sort of a darker side, kind of the political climate that we're li- living in now. That's a separate thing that we can get to. But you were quoted as saying something like, it's a mistake to think that we're living in darker times now than ever before mm-hmm. that mm. this is a cycle you know history mm-hmm. repeats itself and just like mm-hmm. every every era has its own mm. things that mm. contribute to its feeling. So mm-hmm. I'm curious if you feel that way mm. about the digital like the the
3: well, that's not necessarily dark, it's just progress, you know. I mean, and right, it's not well, a world war. Right, right. You know, th- this <laughs> is uh, something that will help uh, in many, many areas of life, like medicine right. and, 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 and technology. I mean, do you
1: feel like now we're living in an age of progress that is mm-hmm. different than the levels of progress that we, you, we've seen?
3: A different kind of progress, definitely, but um, not necessarily that the times are more um, cruel. You know, if you look at the cruelty and brutality of regimes and um, um, governments and wars, uh, how bloody they were through the centuries and still not even, I mean, the World War II finished only in 45. If you imagine that, h- how cruel people shot each other in the most civilized countries mm-hmm. into the head, you know, and killed the children and women and uh, uh, the, the heartlessness of, of uh, nas- nationalism and mm-hmm. um uh, even patriotism, you know, that's a cool feeling, too. I mean, why do you have to be a patriot? Wh- right. Why? You know, why are you better than another nation and, right. and fight for that nation? Um, so
2: I know this is why I always say I yeah. don't care about the Olympics. <laughs>
3: because but I don't really, root for I mean, my country in that You, way. you yeah. rule for the greatest athlete. Yeah, that's right. it, you know. Right. Uh, so, so I, I think, um, you know, nowadays, yes, we have regions that have not evolved and are backwards regressing with the religious wars and... Uh, um, you know the the migration, and it's just a hor- hor- horrifying thing to see uh, from uh, the, the North African countries. Uh, yeah. that is just. Uh, but we have gen- we had genocide after the Holocaust. We right. still have this today. People butcher themselves for uh, religious reasons, and they come from a different tribe. Mm-hmm. And and we report about it. The media goes everywhere. We know about everything mm-hmm. nowadays. But I would say in general that the cruelty. Uh, has altered into a different kind of cruelty, um, the cruelty of knowing and not doing anything about it. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, We didn't know, mm. we, uh, people didn't know uh, in the 50s exactly, even up to the Gulf War, mm-hmm. people really didn't know exactly how the wars were happening inside the uh, trenches. Um, but uh, now we know, and we have the reporters, and uh, now turning the head is, is a different kind of cruelty.
2: So should we take solace in the fact that nothing's really changed, or should mm. we be hopeless?
3: <laughs> no, no, neither nor. <laughs> not right? Yet, right. I mean, <laughs> that's uh, that everyone has to do what they can do right. to to stand up and fight and go onto the protest marches and uh, speak up wherever you can. Totally. Why not speak up uh, for and against anything you you right. stand for? Mm-hmm.
2: Will you be at the women's march this weekend? It's uh, in your backyard, basically. Yeah. <laughs> that, Maybe you'll be hiding. From yeah, well,
3: my daughter <laughs> makes me do these things. She's yeah. a very, she's a student in, in Philadelphia. She goes to all of these things. Uh-huh. I have to see because on Sunday I'm leaving to uh, Europe. Oh, are you? <laughs> okay,
2: yeah. You got to protect your health and your body. Yeah, and the first screaming and it doesn't do
3: as good to the world. Right, exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it's hard to be in those crowds and not scream. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, you right, get right. carried away with the fervor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, it's true. I mean, sometimes I I think about. You know, the progress or lack of progress we made in this country over things like race. And it's like, well, slavery was basically yesterday and the grand yesterday. scheme of time, you mm-hmm. know? So we, we've come a long way if you. Yeah. Consider that, or even and, Jim Crow. And if you imagine how Australia.
3: how long and uh, centuries we did not do anything about anything, right, you know, right. in the Dark Ages, you know, when the church yeah. was like dictating knowledge and education, and and women were not existing in, uh-huh. in these. Um, how how could that happen? Yeah. yeah, that the church had such power over people and w- was allowed to collect the money and and dictate the world out there in, in Europe. Right. <laughs> right.
2: So I have a couple follow up questions, which. Are, they seem like Russian dolls to me. So mm-hmm. the first one is, how how do you approach issues that, like, for example, uh, American politics today, as a German living in the United States who's raised children here, do mm. you, is there some distance that you have on things like that? Or you feel well, just as affected and invested?
3: You know, when I'm New York, I feel I am a New Yorker. Yeah. But... um I don't quite feel like an American. Okay, got it. Yeah. Uh, I I have the European thing in me and, uh, <laughs> and the heritage, uh-huh. and um, so uh, I look sometimes and I roll my eyes and think these Americans. <laughs> right. right, you get that luxury you know. a little bit of a distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then again, you know, my kids have American passports, and right. uh, of course, we we love this country mm-hmm. and. Um, Yeah,
1: it's it's interesting. It seems that you've had a a journey and an evolution of your own feeling about Germany and your heritage
3: Mm. there that might Mm. be shifting. Yeah, that's a complicated thing too. I don't feel German. Right. I don't live in Germany for many, many thirty five years. But
1: now, is that feeling slightly shifting? Because mm-hmm. of just sort of the, the perception of Germany now with Angela mm. Merkel is such mm. a powerful yeah. she's leader. A good, she's, she's a wonderful, yeah, yeah she's, she's a wonderful a, she's model. A good one, yeah. Um, and then she simultaneously was, the feeling
3: that we have mm, here is kind mm. of a national shame now, you yeah. know? Well, that's what they think out there, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> Trump, Trump, yeah, who is apparently from Germany, this little city down there. Oh, uh, right. South Germany. Um, is that the
2: Drump? part of Uh, his name? You know, that was the original family name? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it it,
3: it was a different spelling at the time, yeah. Um, You know, it's complicated. That's a personal thing that I feel... Uh, derooted from everything. I I don't feel German anymore. I haven't lived there. I feel a little bit German, a little bit French. I lived many years in Paris. Uh I definitely feel uh, New Uh Yorker-wise with the parts of American in me. And my kids uh, give me the American culture uh, Uh every day, and I I live it. But... um, you know, I, I feel kind of isolated from everything. On a good day, that's uh, that is um, great, uh-huh. and on a bad day, it, you can feel a little lonely.
2: Yeah, but is um, it good for the artists?
3: I, I, I guess um, it is, because I also travel everywhere in the world. Yeah. My concerts are really, literally right. everywhere: right. S- South America, Australia, Asia, everywhere yeah. in Europe. And, um, and I bring something uh, historical, unique, uh, very personal, existential right. journey through music to the people. And people are receptive for it, but a certain kind of people, uh, not, not the big audience, I would say. And, um, and I like that. I live in a niche, as they say, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that is true, also in a personal way. I think, and I don't like uh, loud parties and a lot of people, and I like cabaret. Uh, well, no,
1: that, that atmosphere of.
3: No, no, I don't actually do <laughs> cabaret anywhere else but in New York. It, you know, oh. I, I really s- play the concert halls uh-huh. and the, and the arts festivals, and whether they're jazz or theater or classical music festivals, and. Uh, like last week I played the Berlin Philharmony, which is a n- most Im- important beautiful Philharmonie uh, concert venue li- like the Carnegie Hall of New York and it was built in the 50s by Karajan the um, conductor who put it there at the Potsdamer Platz where um, the Russian sector was uh, separated from the American sector and it was in the no man's land it was the beginning of the Cold huh. War and he put it there as a symbol of freedom of art and we put uh. this right here to let you know and see we are continuing with our free uh, freedom of expression and art and then it was for uh, 28 years that the wall was up it was right next to the wall mm-hmm. and was really a symbol and now since 89 it's down it's it's in surrounded by of course busy life and big city life but um, that was very special and I performed there for the first time in 1988, still a year before the fall of the wall. So that was in that isolated situation and it was so nice to be back, you know, almost uh, 25 years later with, with uh, in a different Germany nowadays.
2: Uh-huh. Was that um, having such a niche in your career? I was describing you to someone earlier this morning as being an artist who's a very big deal to a certain kind of person, right? Mm, uh, yeah, and and all over the world, you know? Yeah. So your footprint is huge, but but you do have a lane yeah. that you found and stuck mm. to. But was that always intentional? Did you ever try mm. to break out of that and it didn't feel right or it didn't quite take and then you came mm. back?
3: Well, I mean, I would have liked maybe to step over in a more uh, commercial Territory here and there uh-huh. uh, like through the movies for example would oh, okay. be probably the most yeah. uh, the You mean as an uh, actor Yeah, not with pop music that wasn't really my ticket yeah. even though I always loved uh, R&B music that's uh, you know mm-hmm. I was a teenager in the 70s that was the great music the great time for music I
2: think that was in the New York Times piece that you guys put, could, <laughs> put on R&B <laughs> in the house Yeah, yeah <laughs> yes. and, and you know
3: the time and uh, of, of, of also pop uh, music at the time Pink Floyd and right. all that was just great But with the movies, maybe that could have been a possibility. But then also, I got children, so there was a priority with, you know, not to go in too far with that. But um, yes, I, I, I feel it was. A natural journey. It started with a very selective project um, by Decca Universal Music to re-record the music that was banned by the Nazis, Mm -hmm. uh, Kurt Weill, Brecht, Mm -hmm. and then the Berlin Cabaret songs that really happened in the Weimar Republic. So that's a very uh, researched uh, kind of territory of music. Was that your own
1: just... Will, that you wanted mm. to do that? or Well, I sang some- that.
3: I was in the beginning of my 20s, and I lived in Berlin. It was in the middle of the 80s. Uh, I researched Kurt Weill. I wrote my first recital. And I wrote this evening myself with the pianist. We, we performed in a theater. And uh, and then Decca had um, the idea to re-record this music. It was time. You know, it was in the middle of the 80s. They wanted to bring out this music from uh, the Weimar Republic, again, re-record it. It hadn't been redone since the 50s mm-hmm. with Lord Lenya and the Dietrich recordings. And um, I was the front person mm-hmm. of for this project. So they chose this young German uh, to do it. And um At the same time, I was already in the theater area performing in Paris and I was already an actress, pretty much known in Europe, um, performing various uh, plays and musicals. And so... And so that became very, very popular. Like my, my son who is studying uh, mu- musicology uh, says, oh, all my professors grew up with your music. And in, in the a- late 80s, <coughs> this was mm. the album that broke the stigma of the German language because yeah. German right. language was not loved at all right. because mm-hmm. of the Nazis. So it, it, it 80% was German on this record. And it was 50 uh, 50 weeks in the charts here in wow. America. Uh, in the crossover charts that exist not (laughs) I don't think it existed (laughs) and then but then I had also the theater stuff the movie stuff at the same Uh time and every time I reached out in a more um popular field like Broadway Uh in Chicago or the West End in, in London I liked it but it was a little unsatisfying at the heart to me right how so I felt the characters were stereotype. I had oh, to fit into the production. I had to do what the directors uh, tell me, mm-hmm. and uh, these uh, the clone productions. You know, even though I was the first one creating the part in in the London production, I still felt um, this is not as. Uh, deep and as free as I want to be on stage Interesting. so well, I mean there were certain parts like Sally Bowles and Cabaret is right, a great part fantastic. I love right, right. that yeah, yeah. I played that in the 80s in Paris and berries and I, I really thought that was a wonderful part it, with all the edges to it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I'm most comfortable really in my own uh, shows well you're
1: also on top of being a performer and a musician singer actress you're you inter- you're really a researcher and interpreter and and a historian in a way and putting together mm. you know you've you've taken the works of you know Paul Coelho Quil- how do you say Paulo Coelho Quilio. yeah which it sounds amazing Nine secrets was yeah, that yeah. which sounds incredible and Bukowski and Neruda mm. and all mm. of these different thinkers and writers mm. and create a show around that mm. and so that's a very different art than mm. You know,
3: yeah, I'm crazy even- enough to do that because it's a completely <laughs> yeah. uncommercial project. <laughs> it, you're it the just- real
2: artist, artist, for
1: wow. that
3: well, well, I yeah. just have that obsession, and then uh, and I just let it go. You know, my my intuition starts, and then it's like this uh, motor just goes, and um, and I don't censor it. I just let it go, and then. Out of the nothing, really, out of a white canvas, uh, comes weeks and weeks later a project. And Have you
1: found yeah. a pattern in your life of what leads you to a certain? Yeah, work? All,
3: everything comes out of uh, out of it's it's all an evolution. It it comes out of it out of the previous experience. Like I did uh, Astro Piazzolla music, the tango music with the six musicians from Buenos Aires. We did a world tour with his songs and then I thought, uh, this is wonderful but I want to create something new in that L- Latino-American feel of music t- between tango and Chilean and Brazilian music and I <coughs> worked with my bandonionist uh, from Buenos Aires and I thought, let's do the love poems of Pablo Neruda and create new music. <laughs> uh, besides, I had a great friendship with him so we had a good time doing it and, uh, and it was uh, it just became this project that was uh, captivating me. uh, Neruda was a political person and stood uh, against fascism and means a lot to the European people, especially in Spain and and Italy, where fascism was still so apparent in the last century. And then out of the out of uh, Bukowski was Bukowski was Bukowski, you say was before, because I always (laughs) thought there was a Brecht um, relation between Bukowski and Brecht and um, um, the the completely uh, wildness and crudity of uh, rudeness of, of his writings, uh, I liked it. And there was a political edge in that, too, uh-huh. that reminded me of the other people I interpreted. The Nine Secrets of uh, Paulo Coelho, you know, the book The Alchemist is yes. such a great book. And I always kept uh, my, my love for his books with me. And then uh, I, I was in a time where I was a bit... Um, you know between the kids and the career everything went uh, my husband on my nerves and it was all like back and forth I did not know where to go and I read this book um, Manuscripts from Accra and it was like a bible without the religion (laughs) it really set certain things straight in life he just spelled out what I felt but I hadn't spelled it out properly and uh, and then I said I'm going to make a music project out of this and I suddenly I met him through a friend a Brazilian journalist and we had a me- meeting in geneva and he encouraged me he said do it do it you must do it and then i had to do it so then i had the pressure from him <laughs> right <laughs> and, as he's alive and and well and and follows uh, every well, footstep even more, i mean that's exciting yeah. in a whole different way yeah. so that that was a wonderful thing and and then and then the, uh, the 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 previous project songs for eternity with the songs from the ghettos and concentration camps that came out of the year um 2015 when it was 70 year anniversary commemoration of the Holocaust uh, I met a specific kind of people in Rome at, at, a, at a big commemoration concert who were researchers uh, for this music, and we just got together and said we have to do it. And I wanted to show the other side of the story, singing, uh, on the other hand, the music from the immigrants that made it out um, to, to America, mm-hmm. and this time the ones, uh, c- the contemporaries who were stuck, who didn't believe they would get uh, killed, and, and, and kept writing music in in Europe until their death.
2: Can I ask, you left Germany early on, but what did you still carry with you of German history and Holocaust and your personal Mm. relationship with all of that?
3: Everything you know, yes. it defines me as an artist mm. the outrage and the grief and the pain about that. Mm-hmm. To live with that, you know, as it to be German, oh, I just used to hate to say that. You know, people say, Oh, Germany is a fantastic country and we make great products and everything runs well. <laughs> but there's also uh, a cloud over this identity that for me as a young person was really hard to swallow. Uh, not in the context that many times you would meet outside uh, like a Jewish person and that person didn't want to talk to you because you were German. Um, But because uh, reading through it, I just felt my personal confrontation was so much more heartbreaking and deeper than what my parents had given me or my neighbors or my generation Mm -hmm. even. Uh, You know, where was the real personal grief about it? And then I started to uh, intertwine with my art projects uh, and and uh, inspire the projects through this grief. And that was very important with the Kurt Weill story, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, went along chronologically from the experiences in Germany, his music being burned, being denounced and uh, accused and all of that, and then his grief leaving his home country and redefining himself later on uh, in France and America and uh, ma- many other contemporaries to him with the same story. And then for some reason, I, um, I always, uh, you know, I'm, I'm n- not religious, but I always have lived with Jewish guys, you know, <laughs> my first, second, third husband, whatever, how many I have. And, uh, and uh, so I have, like, I inherited this heritage mm-hmm. through my life because we do celebrate the Jewish holidays. And, um, but I, I don't like any religion, but um, I, um, I have a lot of respect for it. And more and for f- tradition. Well, because sometimes yes.
2: celebrating the holidays can be more about tradition than. Religion. Well, for me, it's
3: really just about a, a celebration and, yeah, and, so, and to celebrate right. the family. Right, but because the traditions are also questionable, a lot of them <laughs> are questionable, and they're built on old suspicions and uh, judgments and st- strange stories. The biblical stories, I'm not sure about those biblical stories. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh. Right.
1: <laughs> we could get into t- yeah. Jewish tradition. No, <laughs> no, no but. but
3: all of them, uh, n- no matter what, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. tradition, you know, no right. matter oh, what. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah. And a lot of habits are established in life that are kind of empty and don't, that sure. are not necessarily necessary. And then it's just the teaching of it to the children. It's I find it always uh, some kind of brainwashing. You just make them follow rules because they're written in stone in the books for centuries but uh, why, you know, let, let if later on they want to follow it out right. of an adulthood, then they can. But yeah. but it's I find it always questionable to put the kid children into a system of thinking. Um, but it's Especially, a people. I mean, I think the reason why you're
1: able to connect so deeply with the the past and the and the tragedy of the Holocaust and all that mm-hmm. is be, it was a people. That that's what the mm-hmm. Jewish. Mm-hmm thing is more about than than the actual, you know, yeah, observance. Um, of course, almost. I mean and they they so. were regarded as
3: right. as, a, as a race at the right. time. Mm-hmm. You know that was the problem, and, and, and uh, it's a de- religion should be a dedication. Mm-hmm. It's a dedication to a certain way of life and uh, building it's of a trust family. and and, and huma- a certain interpretation of humanity, and but it should never include alienating others. Right.
2: Right. I mean, that's that's the thing about any religion that gets me the most is that I'm torn because I respect everyone's beliefs. But if you believe in something absolutely, you're kind of inherently stating that someone else's belief is wrong. Like, I get really stuck on that sometimes. Yeah, that, that is a complicated you know? yeah, concept. Right. Yeah. Um, what was your relationship with your family when you left Germany?
3: You know, we had many taboos. Yeah. We were, a lot of things were not talked about. Uh-huh. There were children in the war, so right. there, there was nothing to uh, accuse or dig into because they right. there they, they they were kids They were brought out uh, to the farmlands You know, mm-hmm. when the cities were bombed.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, were they pleased with your, the direction you were going musically?
3: Well, I'm the one definitely who uh, started making them more conscious about uh, what we have inherited. They kind of like ran away from it in mm-hmm. a certain way. And, and refused the, the, the deep confrontation with it. So I, I continued doing this. and uh, by, like just about two weeks ago there, there was Schindler's list was again in the TV. and f- f- at some point this the guy uh, you know, uh, telling the uh, officer his name at the arrival in Auschwitz said the name Michael Lempa. And I said, "Did I hear that well? you know? Yeah. And then I researched in the uh, Holocaust uh, su- surviving a map, and there were like hundreds of lempers oh, wow. that were. so. And I sent it to my parents because we don't know, you know, when did somebody decide to be Catholic or yeah. uh, th- the roots are so broad in Europe. And I sent it to my parents and they didn't react. To it. I said, you know looked at, you know. <laughs> I mean, you don't know where we come from and what the storylines are of, of tribes and people and, huh. and family trees. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting. I yes. always thought there was some, you know, kind of... A secret Jew. I mean. yeah, a, 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 a secret Jew. <laughs> yeah. a defi- uh, there is a n- not a secret Jew <laughs> right. in me. There's a big Jew in me. <laughs> and I'm very proud of it. With <laughs> no, everything I stand for and I speak for, I definitely have a, a very much um, a love for that. And that comes... Probably yeah. out of uh, my heritage Absolutely. that, that I, yeah. have, I want to do it, you know, I have the obligation.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell us this
3: Dietrich story. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is also, <laughs> it's 30 years ago, uh-huh. 1988. I lived in Paris. I just had finished Cabaret. And I was 24. And was w- Paris
2: your first move when you left? No,
3: Vienna was first. Vienna was Austria, first, okay. And then there was oh, Berlin in the 80s. Studied in, in Vienna. Vienna. Okay. Then I went back to Berlin uh, at the height of the Cold War, and then I went to Paris. Okay. But I already was touring uh, pretty much. My first time in New York was 86, I think. Wow. Um, so um, every... Uh, and I got like the French Tony Award, the Moliere Award for being Sally yeah. Bolt. And everyone said, oh, my God, the new Marlene Dietrich, the new Marlene Dietrich. What are they talking about? There's this lady of legacy of this glamorous Hollywood star. How could they say it? She was alive. She lived in Paris, Avenue de Montaigne. She was a recluse. She didn't go out, uh, but she was aware of everything that was going on uh-huh. in the theater world and movie world. And I send her a letter apologizing for these ridiculous comparisons and ex- humanity yeah, that you yeah, had at yeah, that age. What is
1: astounding you to do uh, that Yeah, that.
3: I just did because I, I you know, th- I know that her five confidants were like uh, fabulous, um, uh, uh, gay dressers and and makeup artists in the theater scene. So she had a. A very few um, confidants, young guys who were helping her out with the household. And one of them I knew, and he said, you know, why don't you just write her a letter? If you just write on the postcard Marlene Dietrich, Avenue de Montaigne, Paris, yes. it will arrive, <laughs> you know. So funny. And the letter arrived. It was a, a little bit of a longer letter, also g- getting into the German history and, and wow. how much I feel, uh, you know, that she, uh, I wanted to thank her for the inspiration that she also gave uh, to to women with her kind of masculine image of being the boss and taking care of things, you mm-hmm. know. Besides being a sexy lady, you know. Right. She also and, did
2: a lot after the war. Didn't she? Like she took in immigrants, and I think.
3: Oh, but did she, some you know, she was a, a, she was an American soldier in the war. Oh, you know, was she's it? uh she was an expatriate she she never went back to Germany after the blue angel after right,
0: uh, right, right. nineteen
3: thirty she joined the American army she sang for the American soldiers she was at the front line an entertainer. Yeah. yeah yeah as an entertainer yeah and right. but c- encouraging the soldiers and yeah, keeping yeah, yeah. their morals up yeah. all the way until the end of the for three years she was in actually in the trenches yeah, with wow. them she wore uniform wow. and um and that was uh her issue so let me first go back yeah. uh she then contacted me after receiving the letter and thanking me and saying, my God, how nice and wise your letter is and how old are you? And, and we and we spoke for three hours on the telephone. Oh my God! She called me and we spoke for literally three hours. And that's where she told me her life story. N- not like in an interview form, but she just was scattered with her thoughts. How she old went, she, she then? She was 88. I want
1: to like make a comparison to what that would be like today for like a young actress who's like, you know, all of a sudden becomes compared to
3: Marilyn Monroe. Monroe, And she would be still, uh, and then you get to call and and speak on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. and I was young. For it's me, like it was I didn't in, uh, internalize <laughs> it as much as I did through the course of the following 30 years yeah. until today. Yeah. So, yes, we went very much into the German history. So what happened wow. with her was uh, while she was making movies in Hollywood and and then the war came and and, uh, and she kept doing her. Well, she was with everyone uh, and she also was with every man, leading man. She had them all <laughs> from uh, Jimmy Stewart to uh, Gary Cooper to John Wayne to Orson Welles to Yulbright. And and Hemingway and the whole list of people, hundreds of them, you know. <laughs> she was uh, girls too. She was with ADPF. She she just thought oh, really? whoever is attractive, I want to make <laughs> love you. to. Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> it's kind of a very cool concept, right? Yeah. <laughs> and especially
2: when was that? That. Yeah, that was 40s, in the
3: 50s, 50s 60s, yeah. into the 70s, and when then she. You know, got a little older yeah. and I guess a little tired. <laughs> he pulled her heels a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but she was also still with Kennedy, by the way, John F. Kennedy. She was 20 years older than oh he was God. in those years, in the 60s. Kennedy's she, another one who yeah, well, got around yeah. to the uh, end, or okay. so it makes sense they yeah. would
2: have got around with each other at some
3: point uh, uh, yeah, yeah right and, uh, <laughs> but anyway so she was, we spoke about Germany and the, she went back in the 1960s first she did a movie with Billy Wilder in Berlin a foreign affair in the destroyed Berlin which is an incredible movie with scenery of the real Berlin completely oh, wow. bombed out I don't
2: think I know that and,
3: um, and she spoke about you know that, that she couldn't believe that was her Berlin from the Weimar mm. time there was nothing left but walls broken down and and the and the women who you know helped picking up the pieces and that was only a year after the war that they shot the music uh, the movie in berlin and then she went back in the 60s to sing you know when she started her world chanteuse career and bert backer was her her (laughs) arranger her musical director her pianist he was with her for 15 years uh performing everywhere so she went back to berlin and she was booed. The people were with signs outside the theaters. Marlene, go home, um, traitor. She, she had sung for the. She had fought for the enemy. You know that's what the Germans oh, right. still thought. It was 1960, wow. 15, 15 years after the wow. war. And um, they threw stink bombs at her, and there were bomb threats at the theaters. They did not know. Uh, they were so entrapped into the history, being uh, Nazis and uh, marching for the Nazis and. And finding everyone who was against as a traitor that still 15 years after they could, did not know. So they showed her a hatred. Wow. And she was so broken and she said, The Germans and I no longer speak the same language. Yeah. And she did not go back there, only once for a UNICEF and a, another Peace Gala, a international. Um, um, uh, corporations and stuff uh, and, and but but n- never anything again, just purely german mm-hmm. and uh and she said she she cried many, many tears about it. And uh, she she had to give up her country, basically the way the Jews had in in the 20s. You know, what Kurt Weil said, don't speak to me in German ever Amen. anymore. And I'm not Kurt, I'm Kurt now. No, <laughs> Everything had to go away from that yeah. painful past, being denou- denounced and uh, discriminated and uh, assaulted. I, in I'm mistaken. Country. Did she also
1: have... Anti-Semitic views at the same time as wanting to fight for for no no no, no. Okay.
3: all her um, uh, uh, co- 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 collaborators were Jewish anyway yeah. you know von Sternberg she who did the Blue Angel and Friedrich Hollander who did uh, her main music and uh, all Billy Wilder and and the uh, you know, Hollywood was made out of, uh, right. of immigrants from Europe and uh, a lot of them were Jewish and these were her best friends uh, no no she she, she was horrified uh, then she also said she when at the time being a soldier, she did not know really what happened in the concentration camps, but later on when she heard, she she was shivering and uh, she couldn't not believe what the germans had done and she said also that she was uh, scared of capture when she was in the front lines with the soldiers she was afraid to be captured yeah. by the germans you know what <laughs> would they have done to an expatriate right. fighting for the enemy right. they would have thrown her in the concentration camp too yeah. no she definitely had uh, and she she was asked many times after the blue angel come back to germany to do more german movies but then that was in the '30s when the Nazis were already in power, and she said there was no way I wanted to go back to to the Hitler nation, and uh, with Leni Riefenstahl and do movies for the Germans. No way she wanted to go back. Yeah, they wanted to have, to have wow. her back, of course. So well, she to, was clear with her okay. um, political yeah. allegiance. So right. So then
1: how did that call t- impact you going forward mm. then and to now?
3: Well, a <coughs> lot, lot. Lots of things, I mean, uh, people always said, you know, because I haven't lived in, you know, to, more important, <laughs> 1992 we go four years later, when she died, four years later. Did I you ever meet her in person, or never, just the never, phone call? No, just the phone okay. call. And the, uh, I was in Berlin at that time, performing, a, rehearsing the play, The Blue Angel, Marlena's play, The Blue Angel. I was Lola, her part. Uh, ten days before the opening night, she passed away. She had a glorious funeral in Paris, in the Eglise de la Madeleine. Thousands of people came. And she, then her last wish was to be buried in Berlin at the cemetery with her Fair. mother, where she was you know, born. And so she was then brought to Berlin in the coffin and... Six days before opening night, uh, I was at the funeral, laid a rose on her grave, and and then I was Lola. And that was a haunted production. Wow. People still didn't want the Blue Angel back. We, we we were slammed by the reviews. It was was a horrible thing. People didn't know what to do. The Berliners wanted to give a street name, Marlene Dietrich, to the street where she was born. And the people in the street were protesting. It was 1992 oh now. Oh. Don't call our street Marlene Straße. And mm-hmm. only later, in, after 2000, they called um, a big place, a space next to Potsdamer Platz, Marlene Dietrich Platz, you know, a square.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Finally, they had accepted it. And 2001 was the big uh, 100-year anniversary for Marlene. And I was, again, you know, the m- main artist in that show, singing her songs. By that time now, they had celebrated her. they She was now okay. back a symbol, a status symbol for Berlin. But look, it took, took them how, how many years it t- took them. So... Um, that that's for me whether a uh, story f- uh, finalizes, you know. Uh, yeah. First of all, with my blue angel in Berlin, her passing away, her funeral, and then uh, finally in two thousand one, again Friedrichstadt Palace, Berlin, a united Berlin at the time, um, a, a different kind of Germany. Finally, they celebrated her. So things grew over time, and then last year. I got three offers. Um, Paris, uh, to play Marlene Dietrich in a play with Jean Gabin. But Jean Gabin was one of her main lovers and love affairs of her life, a cr- crazy relationship, f- fantastic play. But I would have to move to Paris I can't do it, I have my, my life is here. Uh, yeah. Another thing in Montreal to play a play, pa- play Marlene Dietrich and Edith Piaf. It's a play with the both of them, oh. and uh, interesting. But I didn't like the way uh, the part was written out for Marlene. It was a very stereotype and mm. not at all. Uh, didn't feel true. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I said I'm just gonna have to write my own thing. Great, oh, forget awesome. it. You know, forget. So that's what I did. And that, I did, through the research with the uh, confrontation with these plays, and that, that's what I did. So oh, that's here we so go. So good. <laughs> good. That's oh, that's such a
2: good lesson. Yes, yeah. ladies. Just... If you're offered parts that don't feel
3: right write your own own. Yes,
2: write your own easier said than done but if you have the opportunity uh,
3: do it yeah well if there is some special relationship with the part you know in my case there is a special relationship and I have such an overview of her her life and now 30 years later of my life that has somehow led me in very similar directions with living abroad uh, falling in love with America and the international culture and being an international artist so at this point there are many many relations uh, with her mm-hmm. and yet some really personal secrets she told me over the phone that f- finally I feel ready now to share wow. including her affinity for the poet Rilke Rainer Maria Rilke mm. he's, uh, he's like I would say the pre- uh, he's the one that inspired Coelho probably yeah. in wow. many many philosophical ways very beautiful uh, quotes she gave me over the phone and uh, I'm looking forward to bring it all out and, and tell the story and sing the songs.
2: <laughs> so part of it will be spoken. Is that? How yeah, it's a lot. Okay.
3: Lots of spoken. Lots of spoken. And and I don't. I'm figuring it out right now. I'm slipping into her uh, persona and then back into mine nonstop. So it's a really. I don't want to sing the songs either with her persona too much because my uh-huh. musicality is very different from hers and her diction was very specific and she spoke about the way she had skitzed out and uh, skitzed out, that's German, sketched <laughs> out uh, her, her um, way of interpretation oh, wow. and laying on the consonants, finishing <laughs> the words. And, uh, and been so,
1: deliberate about that. Yes, yeah, so
3: she say. was deliberate about it. And so I'm skipping back between her and myself nonstop it's like uh, oh, in oh. the Seven Deadly Sins, Anna 1 and Anna 2 I'm I'm her and myself but I still tell the stories in uh, from the me me story I skip definitely into her persona and uh-huh. tell it with her kind of voice and then but I go back and forth uh, asking within, questions in within uh, within the song or within the dialogue asking questions that are truly asked to her and then I'm back and forth, so it's a oh, bit of a awesome. it's a bit of an ego trip. Uh, I mean, like <laughs> a, a, a conflictual ego, a Freudian, yeah, yeah. Freudian yeah. right, right. right, over <laughs> ego, under ego, exactly, uh, and a yeah. culmination
2: of your life experience. In <laughs>
3: like yes, by a now, very definitely. Way. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh.
1: awesome.
2: So that's gonna be at the Cafe Carlyle, February twenty seventh through March third.
3: Something like that Something like that That's only the beginning So that's for me Like a really I was gonna ask I'm trying to I already have Lots of people Bookings in the world that, That is an interesting I think it should be Eventually a play you know, yeah, it's it like an off-Broadway like play, play, but I'm just trying to get it under my nails and into my mouth and into my soul. And, uh, yes. and the Carlisle check, yeah, wonderful it's, it's place a, for it's that. It's a neighborhood place. I, I performed there ten years ago, and that's
2: right. You have an album from that, right? Yes, a, yeah. li- a
3: live album. But um, um, I usually I'm kind of more like a downtown girl when it gets to performing in the clubs, <laughs> like where, uh, Joe's Pub, oh, yes. and and um, yeah I used to be in the bottom line when it was still there and then mm. you know, the CBGBs and so and so but uh or the jazz clubs but uh but this one is really very much uh, uh it has uh, the Carlyle has this um old uh mm-hmm. heritage of New York there is something beautiful about the the the, the reputation that it, for decades and decades the Car- so I think this show really fits well into the Carlisle. and so yeah, for sure. Let's try <laughs> even,
2: even the young people in that room at the Carlisle feel like old souls. Yes. You know? And, and the room
3: with the with yeah. frescoes on the exactly. walls. It's oh, so yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It has an old, old Berlin world, feel old to it. Yeah. yeah. for sure. Yeah.
2: Well, we can't wait to see it. Yes. And thank can't you. wait to see what comes after that and where that yeah. takes
3: you. Mm-hmm. Probably yeah. back
2: all around it, the world. We'll.
3: we'll it's possi- a possibility. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for Thank you very much for having
3: me. Come on babe, I don't repaint paint the town? I know that jazz, I'm gonna rouge my knees and roll my stockings down I know that jazz, start the car, I know we would be spot Where the gin is cold but the piano's hot It's just a noisy hall where there's a nightly brawl and all oh, But...